protection of facts. And I got to stand out the facts. All the black. Protection of And I got to stand out the facts. All the black. Who's to say a black cat can mean bad luck for fast bucks? Right for dear hunters who masked up. Revenge for the slave days. Whips and chains bleeding while pain rage. Stuck in the birdcage. Picking cotton for minimum Outrage, speaking my mind, ready to rampage. Have you tell me, show me the light. So I'm on stage, stomach still touching my back. Showing my ribcage, sights, cause I counterattack. Changing like moose swing, Jack, and trying to hate on your bro. Another black man, it's funny how a monkey can't stop the show. But if we all stick together like a plant with growth, blacker than the street can't train G.I. Joe. Let's go. Pillars could die before turning into a butterfly. Grown man surviving the fortunes of the past time. History repeating itself. Why I put the bull issue on the shelf and went for self. Haters cremated, bullets related. Past through dated. Graduated to a higher class of fascination. Fast calls, hand radiators, clash with patience. Fingerprinting the game, suicidal sensation. Bought the Benjamins like ice cream scrolling with Mike Epps. Stacking my pennies, counting, trying to get to the next step. Color being my skin tone, ringing like ringtones. Mimicking all my style, disrespecting the G code. Now, why you sitting over there, quiet in the back? WRBB, the hottest radio station in Boston, Mass. I'm Blood Deep from Evans Pyramid, and this is General Ahmed's show. Keep it right here for the truth.
Oh, yeah. Hello, world. Peace and love. I wish you the best. And now for the next. Coming to your mind. Live and direct from the ethers. Now it's all in your speakers. Down to your sneakers. 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 two things to direct your course, your ears and your soul. I bring to you the Robert Glasper experiment, experimentation for meditation. And my head's right here, just a little more, just a little more. Two, 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 hey, hey. Something, 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 something like. Check one, two, mic check, one, two, mic check, one, two, mic. Microphone check, check, one, two, two, one, two. Save the bass. Check, mic check, one, two. I'm done. Mic check, one, two, mic check, one, two, mic check. I'm going Yo, we interrupt this broadcast. We interrupt this broadcast. Yo, we interrupt this broadcast. We interrupt this broadcast. We interrupt this broadcast. Your Facebook posts, Skype, text, and tweets. 
with a special news bulletin. Last night, Popo found two bullets in two brothers' heads across from Sea Town behind Church's Fried Chicken near the projects left for dead. When she left the train station, a young honor student's destination was home, but instead, she got hit by a stray. Didn't see it coming, cause when niggas are gunning, unfortunately, there's no time for running away. Which brought Reverend Chickenfoot out of the mega church. He lit some candles and said, let everybody pray, cause this is a pity. We need to stop the senseless violence in our city. Get the people together and form a special committee. We'll meet at the Hilton, have a chicken dinner. Yeah, he's a winner. Last week on the block, a young cat shot a cop, and the cops retaliated, and shot whoever was found, putting it down and whatnot. But Reverend's Chicken Foot and Hogmar refused to tell their parishioners to boycott Christmas, Christmas and Easter, because money is the only thing that is respected by this beast of burden. This is a special report. Yeah, we interrupted. Yesterday, and I mean yesterday, without distortion, there were 166 statistically reported abortions at one Planned Parenthood. And the concept of post-traumatic slavery syndrome is still not understood. Please Google Dr. Joy D. Groy. And give us feedback on Channel High 5, Red, Black, and Green News, or 98.7 Vibe for Brother Kamal on your side. Meanwhile, the Christians are waiting for the Savior while the Muslims say our Savior has arrived. The Hebrew Rastafari say he's to be found inside. But wherever he or she is, we better soul commune because our community is out of tune. So I ring the alarm. We must stop the wars. Israel versus Iran. Bloods versus Crips. Light skin versus dark. Nigger versus Negro versus Bourgeois. Jesus versus Allah. Amin Ra versus Krishna. Pookie versus Skeeter. Shaniqua versus Chandelier. KK versus Rahman. Because we are one. But y'all heard it all before. I just work here, y'all, and this is my special report. Reporting live from the hood, RBG correspondent, Kamal Supreme. Yo, we interrupt this broadcast. We interrupt this broadcast. Yo, we interrupt this broadcast. We interrupt this broadcast. You're listening to 104.9 WRBB. The hottest radio station in Boston, Mass. I'm Blood Deep from Evans Pyramid. And this is General. Yeah, we interrupt this broadcast. Keep it right here. For the truth. We interrupt this broadcast. We interrupt this broadcast. authorities in your area have reported that the bodies of the dead are rising from their graves and attacking the living. What? Follow the messages on screen that will be updated as information becomes available. Do not attempt to approach or apprehend these bodies as they are considered extremely dangerous. I repeat, civil authorities in your area have reported that the bodies of the dead are rising from their graves and attacking the living. Follow the messages on screen that will be updated as information becomes available. Oh my God, is it Judgment Day or are the dead people in Boston waking up? Do not attempt to approach or apprehend these bodies as they are considered extremely dangerous. This warning applies to all areas receiving this broadcast. 
tune in to 9.20 a.m. to get updated information in the event that you are separated from your television or if electrical service is interrupted. Civil authorities in your area have reported that the bodies of the dead are rising from their graves and attacking the living. Follow the messages on screen that will be updated as information becomes available. This station will now cease transmission, so please use your battery-powered radio. Tune in to 9.20 a.m. for further information. future of Boston, and you're listening to the new National Holler Black with Minister General Ahmed, the Sons of Africa, your Ministry of Information streaming live worldwide on Boston WRBB 104.9 FM, you dig? Holler Black. So the viruses are similar in some ways, and in, in, in the fact they came from pigs, they can infect humans and cause disease in humans. The big difference between them is, while H1N1, the pandemic virus, spread easily between humans and therefore caused a global pandemic, so far at least, the H3N2 variant virus spreads between pigs and humans, but doesn't continue to spread in humans, and therefore is less a risk to people who aren't exposed to pigs. One of the reasons we think this virus spreads so successfully between pigs and humans compared to other swine viruses is that the H3N2 variant virus has acquired the M gene, which is a gene from the pandemic virus that may allow it to spread more efficiently into humans and maybe among humans. The thing we worry most about when a non-human virus, influenza virus, enters a human host is that it would develop the ability to spread efficiently between humans. Right now, this virus, the H3N2 variant virus, only spreads between pigs and humans. We haven't yet seen the ability to spread efficiently or in a sustained way between humans. Not yet. It's the time of year now when seasonal flu vaccine campaigns are ongoing. We want to make sure that people know two things. First, get your seasonal flu vaccine. Flu is right around the corner. This is the best way to protect yourself against human influenza. But there's this new H3N2 flu, and I'm kind of scared of that. What if that mutates? This is not, the seasonal flu vaccine is not a good way to protect yourself against this variant virus. But that's okay, because we know the risk factor for getting this variant virus is exposure to pigs. And so you don't need the vaccine to protect you. We just need to ensure that you practice safe practices when exposed to pigs. But what about when you eat pork chops or bacon or ham or all that crap that come from pigs that might be infected by this new mutated H3N2 flu virus? wash your hands, stay away from sick pigs, things like that should do the trick. Whenever a novel influenza virus enters a human population and causes disease, the first thing we think about is that it may develop the ability to spread efficiently between humans and maybe a pandemic risk. When that happens, what we do is start the process to make a vaccine against it, just in case we need it. We've started that process here. We've made a vaccine candidate. We've shared that vaccine candidate with manufacturers who have made some vaccine to be used in human trials this fall. What we know is that all the cases that have acquired this virus so far have been in close contact with pigs. And so the risk factor for getting this virus is direct or indirect contact with sick pigs, not from eating pig meat. And so safely prepared pork meat is not a risk factor for getting the disease. Uh, okay, all right. Well, that makes me feel a little better, even though I really don't eat that much swine, but I know a lot of folk that do. Nine people have contracted swine flu in Ohio. Health officials confirmed the cases linked to the Butler County Fair matched a strain of the virus that infected four people at an Indiana fair. Up to 41 people, majority of them children, have become sick. 
Across the state, doctors are being asked to remain alert to patients with flu-like symptoms. In light of the outbreak, organizers at the Champaign County Fair are taking extra precautions. Hundreds of bottles of hand sanitizer will be placed around the buildings housing animals at the fair. Earlier today, we talked with the fair president. He stresses the importance of using sanitizers after being around animals. The general public that comes through, they like to reach out and pet the pigs and touch the animals. And so we're putting these around so they can clean their hands after they've been through here. The Champaign County Fair holds the largest livestock show in Ohio. This year, 800 pigs will be at the fair. And brothers and sisters, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Hotep, and peace be with you. Welcome to the new National Hall of Black, a.k.a. Your Two Cents, the future of Boston, and perhaps where you are for today, Sunday, September 9th, 2012. And I'm Ahmed Abdul-Ibad, better known all over the black world as Minister General Ahmed of SOA Sons of Africa, your Minister of Information. And again, welcome to the show. Let's start off, as always, by going back and taking a look at some of the things that happened on this date in history. September 9, 1971. Inmates seized control of the Attica Correctional Facility in upstate New York. After a four-day siege, police and guards stormed the maximum security prison near Buffalo. The ordeal leaves 32 inmates and 11 prison employees dead, with hundreds more wounded. 1976. Mao Zedong, founding leader of Communist China, dies in Beijing at age 82 after years of tumultuous and autocratic rule. Under Mao's successors, China embraces free market reforms, becoming one of the world's fastest-growing economies. 1956. A milestone in early rock and roll, Elvis Presley makes the first of three celebrated TV appearances on The Ed Sullivan Show on CBS. And 1941. Otis Redding, the soul singer and songwriter, is born in Dawson, Georgia. Among his songs, Respect, best known as a hit for Aretha Franklin, Try a Little Tenderness, and Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Today in History, September 9th, Carlotta Bradley, The Associated Press. And welcome back. Uh, of course, uh, this is National Preparedness Month. September is always National Preparedness Month. And uh, for the past six or seven years or so, yours truly and SOA Sons of Africa have been members of the National Preparedness Month National Coalition, and I devote all Sunday shows in September to discussion of disaster and emergency preparedness and mitigation issues. So we did a little last week on the first show. This is the second show. In National Preparedness Month, there are three more Sundays for you to weigh in um, on what you are doing to make where you are prepared. This is your final exam for grade. 
in order to be a graduate of Readiness U. With Professor Dr. Ahmed, <laughs> no one has done more to make all of you graduates of Readiness U than yours truly. Uh, incidentally, the FEMA guide, Are You Ready? A Guide to Citizen Preparedness, a 270-page guide with everything you need to know about disasters and emergencies. An excellent publication. I've been giving them out to tens of thousands over the last six years. And uh, the actual hardbound book I've been giving to housing complexes in Boston, condo associations where I live now. And to many listeners across America, a PDF has been inserted in nearly every message posted by any of the 5,000-plus members of my SOA Sons of Africa online community. Every message going out to, again, nearly 5,100 members across this nation and in 40 other countries all day, every day. I can say I have given out tens of thousands of these. If you don't have one and you're not on SOA Sons of Africa and you'd like to get a copy of Are You Ready? A Citizen Guide to Preparedness. And I mean a PDF copy. Uh, please email me. Send me an email request for Are You Ready? To Sons of Africa at sonsofafrica.org. Again, Sons of Africa at sonsofafrica.org. Please spell Africa with a K and not a C. And uh, let me thank my three special in-studio guests from last Sunday, September 2nd, my three little brothers, Brother Blood Deep of Evans Pyramid, Boston hip-hop star El Paduck, and Brother Charlie Hayes, whose voice you also hear singing in my theme song, Holla Black. Uh, which, which, incidentally, I want to thank Nina Ruff. Uh, she plays it for me every morning before, I mean, every afternoon before I come on. And she loves it. She loves especially the very beginning of it, that tone, that sound, uh, which we don't always catch when we go on air. But to me, it adds to the quality of the sound. Uh, people who have listened to the, past, the podcast over the months and the years have also written back to me and asked me who this was doing this song. Where did this song come from? Well, I had to tell them. My brother soldier, El Product, Boston's own. And uh, they've been back here last week again for the first time since 2009, and I've invited them to come back next Sunday on September 16th. So tune in next Sunday. We're going to let them showcase more of their work together, producing music that is ultimately the future of Boston. Because you hear it right here with Minister General Ahmed, who has been Boston's future since way black in the past. So plan to be here again next Sunday, September 16th, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, 10 a.m. Pacific, and 5 p.m. UT Universal Time, which is the same as GMT, Greenwich Mean Time. Don't forget, you can go black anytime and listen to the podcast of this show at soundcloud.com slash sons of africa uh, soundcloud.com slash sons of africa it seems like over the past couple of days people have been really tuning into that uh, as many in canada and the uk as in the united states um but yeah you can still check that last week's show out up there now um and 
when I get home this evening. That one won't be there anymore. This one will be. So hopefully uh, some of you out there will weigh in with your two cents um, on disaster and emergency preparedness issues. If there's something else you want to weigh in on, uh, we surely like to hear from you locally at 617-373-2658. If you're outside the Boston area, just add the one in front of the area code 617-373-2658. And if you'd like to be an in-studio guest on any of the next three September shows on the 16th, the 23rd, and the 30th to talk about what you are doing in so far as disaster and emergency preparedness, let everyone know how you fared through some of the disasters we had over recent months and years. Anyone locally here in Black Boston working on issues impacting our communities, you can try to get me here this afternoon while I'm on air or just email me again at sonsofafrica at sonsofafrica.org. So again, the question this month, are black communities prepared? Are we prepared for a pandemic? What if this H3N2 that they're talking about in the Midwest mutates and becomes something that's transmissible, transmissible from human to human. And the current regime of va- vaccines can't, can't deal with it. It's, it's new. It's novel. Like H, the other one was two years ago that they were frightening us about. Are we prepared? Are we prepared for a pandemic of Ebola or SARS? Or bird flu or something worse yet unknown. Are we prepared for an earthquake? All of black. Or for more of those frequent disasters, power outages, tornadoes. We had some tornadic activity in New York yesterday in western Massachusetts. Saw the warnings going across my TV screen last night. And there may be still watches going on right now in those same areas. Are we prepared for wildfires? Parts of the country didn't seem too prepared. For, I mean, how, how prepared can you be if you live in the, in the woods and there's a, a wildfire? The only preparedness you can have is have your get-out-of-dodge kit and get out of there. Am I wrong? Holler black. Holler whoever. 617-373-2658. Chemical spills on the highway or if you happen to live near some kind of plant. That's spilling chemicals into the soil and, and gets down into the groundwater. And next thing you know, everybody in the community is sick. Got cancer. I don't think we're prepared. I really don't. I'm afraid. I, I don't even know why I'm asking this. I'm, I'm asking dead people. Are, are we prepared? I mean, what can the dead be prepared for other than resurrection? 617 373 617-373-2658. U.S. officials warn of swine flu outbreak at fairs. U.S. officials on Friday warned the public to be careful around pigs after an outbreak of flu among visitors to county fairs. The, the virus does not appear to have evolved to the point where it spreads easily among humans, but it does contain a gene from the pandemic H1N1 flu that sickened millions worldwide in 2009 and 2010. 
Huh, but nothing about any vaccine, so I guess I guess we're cool. We don't need a don't need a vaccine. CDC, if you're going to the fair, take precautions against new swine flu. Atlanta, it's the season for state and county fairs, and health officials are reminding fairgoers to be careful around pigs because of a new flu spreading from the animals to people. Preliminary steps have been taken to develop a vaccine for the new H3N2 swine flu strain, a CDC official said. So everybody go get your H3N2 vaccine immediately or you will die. What? Oh, my God. Officials warn of swine flu outbreak at fairs. U.S. officials on Friday warned the public to be careful around pigs after an outbreak of flu among visitors to county fairs. The the virus does not appear to have evolved to the point where it spreads easily among humans, but it does contain a gene from the pandemic H1N1 flu that sickened millions worldwide in 2009 and 2010. But nothing about any vaccine, so I guess I guess we're cool. We don't need a don't need a vaccine. CDC. If you're going to the fair, take precautions against new swine flu. Atlanta, it's the season for state and county fairs, and health officials are reminding fairgoers to be careful around pigs because of a new flu spreading from the animals to people. Preliminary steps have been taken to develop a vaccine for the new H3N2 swine flu strain, a CDC official said. So everybody go get your H3N2 vaccine immediately or you will die. And welcome to Black Radio... Experiment Black Radio. Radio sucker never play me. Triple shade of black that my bleach should never fade me. They say he crazy New York wisdom in the 80s. Killer catch administration. Gangster renovation. Born of isolation. Asian ill communication. Asian Marble. Fiber actor. Pestilential microscopic soul. Sonic remedy. Clinic right in the street. Operator in the dark. Surgery of wounded heart. Come together. Pill apart. Pill apart. Come together. Smoking on something good. Praying for something better. From out of better. Never rocking for forever. Ever. 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 Forever. Ever. Ever. It's still a secret even when you tell them dumb dummies. Hush money. Rent receipt. Drug money. They cold blooded. Warm gun money. The chief rock up. You inject the Zulu horse, Papa Dog, Bucky, Bay, 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. 
were rocking with the death, you were rocking with the best, you were rocking with the fresh. Now you are rocking with the best, you're rocking with the death, you are rocking with the fresh. Yes, you are rocking with the fresh, you are rocking with the death, you're rocking with the best, you are rocking with the fresh. Now you are rocking with the death, you're rocking with the best, you are rocking with the fresh. You're rocking with the best, you're rocking with the death, you're rocking with the best. Yeah, rockin' with the dip, you were rockin' with the best of the yeah, yeah, yeah. Black Radio, y'all. The impoverishment of politics in the age of Obama has been nothing short of amazing. This president has so suppressed every vestigial remnant of progressivism in the political discourse that the most fundamental bread and butter issues have become taboo. I'm talking about raising the federal minimum wage, which has been stuck at $7.25 an hour since 2007, the year before the bottom fell out of the economy. A new study shows that the Great Recession was most destructive of decent-paying jobs, the middle tier, where working people earned between about $14 and $21 an hour. That's where 60% of job losses occurred between 2008 and 2010, and most of those jobs have not come back. Instead, the greatest increase in jobs has come in the low-wage sector, with a median pay of $7.69, just above the federal minimum, to $13.83 an hour. The lowest wage sector now accounts for almost 60% of job growth, with traditionally bad-paying jobs in food preparation and retail sales leading the way. High unemployment on top of the disappearance of living wage jobs. You would think that in an election year, the party that is most identified with working people and folks that need to find work would be screaming at the top of their lungs, raise the minimum wage. But you will hear little or nothing of that from the Democratic Convention festivities in Charlotte. It's not that the delegates are unaware of the crying need for a higher minimum wage. The Democratic platform, for what it's worth, declares that we will raise the minimum wage and index it to inflation. However, it doesn't say how much or when. And that's in deference to the party's standard-bearer, who has not said anything meaningful about the minimum wage since he was campaigning for president in 2008. Back then, Obama promised to work to raise the minimum to $9.50 by 2011. 
Then he got elected, and we heard nothing more about it. When the president is mum on an issue, then the party faithful put themselves on mute. There are bills in the House and the Senate to raise the minimum wage. The best one is sponsored by Chicago Congressman Jesse Jackson, Jr., calling for an immediate $10 an hour minimum tied to inflation. But there's no chance of these bills going anywhere without the cooperation of Democratic leadership. That's right. Ralph Nader and others have beseeched party leaders to break the silence, but they don't dare raise the issue for fear of embarrassing their president. Apologists for Obama will claim that pushing for a $10 an hour minimum wage indexed to inflation, or any significant raise, would hurt his chances for re-election. But the poll numbers show differently, with huge public support for an increase, including among lots of Republicans. Of course. Even Mitt Romney says he supports linking the minimum wage to inflation, just not right now. Obama has effectively been saying no, not now, to underpaid workers for almost four years. So why in the hell is labor getting ready to spend tens of millions of dollars to re-elect him, instead of building a movement that will force politicians to do the right thing? For Black Agenda Radio, I'm Glenn Ford. On the web, go to blackagendareport.com. Now it's time for a brief history of the United States of America. Hi, boys and girls. Ready to get started? Once upon a time, there were these people in Europe called pilgrims, and they were afraid of being persecuted. So they all got in a boat and sailed to the New World where they wouldn't have to be scared ever again. Oh, I'm so relaxed. Ooh, I feel so much safer. But as soon as they arrived, they were greeted by savages. And savages? Over again. So they killed them all. Now, you'd think wiping out a race of people would calm them down, but no. Instead, they started getting frightened of each other. Witch! So they burned witches. In 1775, they started killing the British so they could be free. And it worked, but they still didn't feel safe. So they passed a Second Amendment which said every white man could keep his gun. I loves my gun. Loves my gun. Which brings us to the genius idea of slavery. You see, boys and girls, the white people back then were also afraid of doing any work. So they went to Africa, kidnapped thousands of black people, brought them back to America, and forced them to work very hard for no money. And I don't mean no money like I work at Walmart and make no money. I mean zero dollars. Nothing. Not a zip. Doing it that way made the USA the richest country in the world. So did having all that money and free help calm the white people down? No way. They got even more afraid. That's because after 200 years of slavery, the black people now outnumbered the white people in many parts of the South. Well, you can pretty much guess what came next. The slaves started rebelling. There were uprisings. An old master, the edge got chopped off. And when white people heard of this, they were freaking out and going, I want to live. Don't kill me, big black man. Well, just in the nick of time came Samuel Coe, who in 1836 invented the first weapon ever that could be fired over and over without having to read. And all the Southern yeah. were like, yee But it was too late. The North soon won the Civil War and the slaves were freed. Yep, they were free now to go chop all the old masters' heads off. And everybody was like, oh no, we're gonna die. But the freed slaves took no revenge. They just wanted to live in peace. But you couldn't convince the white people of this. So they formed the Ku Klux Klan. And in 1871, the same year the Klan became an illegal terrorist organization, another group was founded, the National Rifle Association. 
soon politicians passed one of the first gun laws, making it illegal for any black person to own one. It was a great year for America, the KKK and the NRA. Of course, they had nothing to do with each other, and this was just a coincidence. One group legally promoted responsible gun ownership, and the other group shot and lynched black people. And that's the way it was all the way to 1955, when a black woman broke the law by refusing to move to the back of the bus. White people just couldn't believe her. Huh? Why won't they move? What's going on? Man, all hell broke loose. Black people everywhere started demanding their rights, and white people had a major freaky field meltdown. And they were all like, run away, run away. And they did. They all ran flee into the suburbs where it was all white and safe and clean. And they went out and bought a quarter of a billion guns. What? With locks on the doors, alarms in the houses, and gates around the neighborhoods. And finally, they were all safe and secure and snug as a bug. And everyone lived happily ever after. Or did they? And welcome back, brothers and sisters, to the new National Hall of Black, a.k.a. Your Two Cents, the future of Boston, and perhaps where you are, America's only national black town meeting with your host and producer, Minister General Ahmed of SOA Sons of Africa. And, uh, brothers and sisters, I know you got something that you want to weigh in on, uh, um, I didn't see any press conferences last week uh, regarding the Hinton State Drug Lab and the irregularities that took place there over about a year beginning. I mean, it could go back more than a year for all we know, but the reports that I spoke to you about last Sunday said it goes all the way back to June of 2011. And... Uh, this is September 2012, so uh, how big is this problem? And does it go back before June of 2011? And they said it's just this one chemist at the lab. How do we know it's not more chemists? How do we know it's not more labs? I mean, they moved everybody from that lab to another uh, state drug lab in Sudbury. How do we know uh, the same kind of hanky-panky has not gone on there? All about 617-373-2657, 617-373-2658. And regarding the Boston City Council District's redistricting, is the mayor going to step in and veto the so-called plan that was passed, I think, by a 7-6 to six vote a couple of weeks ago, and many feel is a violation of the Voting Rights Act? and is designed to lessen representation of the people of color communities of Boston who are 56%, I think, of the city's population. But only 27% of the Boston City Council's district representation. I knew something was always wrong with that. I just didn't know the actual percent numbers. You know, 56 and 27, um, something is wrong there. And will this new plan, if uh, the mayor doesn't veto it, will it make it worse? Holler black, holler brown, holler whoever, 617-373-2657, 617-373-2658. And uh, brothers and sisters, I still don't feel safe coming here, coming here to Boston. I don't feel safe in the predominantly white community of uh, south of Boston where I live now since uh, 2010. 
And I believe our unity is the only answer. We cannot unite judging each other and disrespecting each other. I've tried to respect and serve everyone all over Boston since 1993, but am I still disrespected myself by some in this community? I guess some think that Minister General is just too black, too militant, and they don't even bother to return my calls. And um, to me, that's a state of emergency. Holla Black, if I'm wrong, 617-373-2658. Perhaps our greatest state of emergency, though, is the murder going on in our communities, young black brothers on our streets, killing each other, killing ourselves, and also the so-called law enforcement killing of innocent black and brown men. If we want this to stop, all of it, we must unite, and we must unite at all cost. On July 19th in the Bronx, New York, community members and civil rights activists joined the family of Ramarley Graham, an unarmed African-American teenager shot by police in his own home earlier this year to hold a vigil and demand justice for his killing. The latest call for justice comes in the heels of new data that shows 120 African Americans have lost their lives through extrajudicial killings this year. On February 1st, police officers broke into Graham's home without a warrant and shot and killed him in his bathroom. Officers said they thought Graham had a gun. No weapon was found. Jeffrey Emden is an attorney for the Graham family. Romali Graham is a victim of an aggressive police tactic. Had he been uh, stopped in the street, we believe that would have been a stop and frisk as well. And the family is now engaged in a grassroots campaign, campaign to raise awareness of rights, of, of what the police tactics are and what could be done to stop them. And this uh, is the 18th of 18 vigils that we've conducted that commemorate 18 years of Ramali being on this planet. The march began at the Graham residence, then stopped at the local 47th precinct, where Richard Haste, the officer charged with manslaughter for killing Graham, was stationed. Haste pleaded not guilty, and the case goes to trial in September. In a statement, the police union said, we look forward to a complete review of the facts in this case, which will demonstrate that this police officer believed that he was pursuing an armed felon who bolted rather than be caught with an illegal gun. With the Romali case, like it's good that we keep the pressure up because we keep on reminding people that this issue hasn't gone away. Like we live in a, at a day and age with the 24-hour news cycle and all that, that people are used to like stories like, you know, coming in and then disappearing. So you have to keep on reminding like uh, the public at large and the media that this is still here, the family is still grieving, and the, the young black and Latino men are still getting like uh, shot. That's right. Unarmed black and Latino men are still getting shot. That's right. And harassed and frisked and you name it. That's right. Graham's family and supporters have been critical of how the police have handled the case. Graham's grandmother was detained for seven hours after his killing. And despite the indictment of haste, supporters have maintained their calls for other officers in his unit to also be criminally charged over their involvement. The march ended at the Crawford Memorial Methodist Church, where Graham's mother, Constance Malcolm, addressed the hundreds in attendance 
and vowed to hold the police accountable for her son's death. They have three things on their car. Courtesy, respect, professionalism. Those are three things they have in their car. And they haven't demonstrated none of that. That's right. None of those three things. Out in the hood. They expect us as people, as citizens of this country to respect them. Respect go both ways. A two-way street. You want me to respect you, you have to respect me. That's right. Community members, including New York City public school teacher and activist Brian Jones, say the family's resilience has been an inspiration. What's really made this case unique is the way the family has decided to fight. That's important, and that's what, made, what has made this case so significant, that the family took their grief and their pain, and instead of just um, letting it consume Silently them, suffering. Swinging and fighting for justice. That's right. And there's something about the way that they have had the courage and the strength to stand up to the police. That's called dignity. Has rallied, first of all, their neighbors, and then second of all, activists, and third of all, then, other families to their side. Also in attendance were the families of Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. and Chantel Davis, two other unarmed African Americans also killed by New York police this year. So that now they are a source of strength, a source of organizing, a source of knowledge um, and experience for other families who find themselves in the same situation. The Chamberlain, Davis, and Graham cases are just three of a much broader pattern of killings of African Americans. In the first six months of 2012, at least 120 African Americans have been killed by police, security guards, or self-appointed law enforcers. Zimmerman. The majority of them were under the age of 31, and about 46% were unarmed. Activist and scholar Rosa Clemente is with the Malcolm X grassroots movement, which released a report that calls these deaths extrajudicial killings. Particularly young people of color are not safe in their communities. That's right. That's what I said. Because of other social, uh, environmental, economic factors, but are literally not saved from the people that are paid to, quote, have courtesy, professionally, professionalism, respect, or are there to serve and protect. That's right. And that in most of these cases, a cop is not indicted. If they are indicted, they usually walk free. They get away with it. Grassroots movement calls the killing of black people systemic and a human rights crisis that needs to be immediately addressed. What this report is showing is not only the statistics that we point out, right, but it's showing the complete total disregard for the humanity of particularly African-American young people and I'm sure Latino and Latina young people. That's right. Well. It's showing... Somos un solo pueblo. There is no nationwide outcry uh, against this denial of human rights. This would never be happening in the white community. The group is calling for a national plan of action for racial justice to eliminate white supremacy and institutional racism and promote the self-determination of marginalized communities. And I think people outside of the United States of America would be very surprised to see that in, in six months, 120 African-American men, women, and children have been murdered by the police. I think they would also be shocked. Darn, that's 60 a month. I know that in most of these cases, unfortunately, the victim nor the families are going to see justice. This has to become a nation. Or 20 a month. Why discourse, particularly within progressive 
um, communities, particularly in the progressive uh, media institutions or movements. And as well, the report we're asking that the Department of Justice investigate as well, which means we are going to enter in the dialogue of the electoral political season. How do we push this forward? Democrats are not going to respond. Republicans are not responding. And to be honest, the Green Party hasn't responded to this report the way they should. That's right. Clemente and supporters of the Graham family say it will take sustained grassroots organizing to raise awareness of police killings of people of color and to hold police accountable when they do. And then when our black and brown brothers unite, and as Diggable Planet said, turn their heaters the other way, and we'll put an end to all of the deaths in our communities. All of the dying of young black and brown men will end. Brothers and sisters, this is uh, the Robert Glasper experiment with Erica Badu. And I played three or four songs from this CD. I think this was released this year. The Brothers are genius. It's excellent. You can see it, hear it, as well as everything else you heard here on this program so far and to go on SOA Tube, the Sons of Africa channel on YouTube, youtube.com slash Sons of Africa. Be sure to spell Africa, A-F-R-I-K-A.
European allies, the old imperialists and the new, tell their country's populations that Iran is isolated in the world and will have to get rid of its nuclear energy infrastructures in order to be allowed back into what they call the community of nations. Among the power groupies that call themselves journalists in the West, Iran is routinely referred to as a pariah nation, lurking at the very edge of civilization and sanity. The United States, by this reasoning, is showing great wisdom and forbearance for not having already unleashed its carrier task forces, marine divisions, special forces commandos, and swarms of drones on the crazed Iranians. Instead, the U.S., in its infinite goodness, enforces a strangling economic and oil embargo to make the Iranian nation scream. The Iranians are lucky, Americans and Europeans are told, that the U.S. holds back its friends in Israel, who are eager to give the Ayatollahs in Tehran a lesson in how to behave. But whatever happens at the end of this game to force Iran to give up its lawful right to own and operate the full industrial cycle of nuclear power, Western audiences are assured that the international community will approve. After all, Iran is a global outcast. CNN and the New York Times tell us so every day. Last week, the 120 nations of the non-aligned movement voted unanimously and without qualification in support of Iran's right to produce nuclear energy and to enrich their own uranium in the process. The non-aligned movement makes up about two-thirds of all the nations of the world. As a solid block of humanity, they rejected the dictates of Washington and London and Paris, the imperial powers that for centuries enslaved most of the planet, endorsing the fundamental principle that Iran has the same sovereign rights as any other nation. Who, then, is isolated in the world? Iran, whose position is backed by two-thirds of the world's countries, or the U.S. and Europe? Clearly, the Americans and Europeans still believe that the only world opinion that counts is the white world. The arrogance of the colonizer and the imperialist is infinite, but their power is not, not any longer. The non-aligned movement vote is a global referendum, not on Iran's lawful pursuit of its internal development policies, but on U.S. imperial bullying and criminality. Because if Iran is within its rights, then the U.S. and the European Union are in the wrong in waging economic war and threatening military assault against Iran. That's right. Someone is committing a crime. That's right. Not Iran. Two-thirds of the world says so. The vote is all the more remarkable because the Americans and Europeans and even the Israelis exercise great influence over the affairs of much of what used to be called the Third World. Yet still, the former colonies and subjugated nations of the non-aligned movement voted unanimously and on principle rather than kowtow to power, at least on this issue. There is a lesson here. The empire remains militarily strong and capable of great crimes, but it has lost much of its powers of coercion, without which empire must ultimately cease to exist. 
For Black Agenda Radio, I'm Glenn Ford. On the web, go to blackagendareport.com. And welcome back to the new National Hall of Black, a.k.a. Your Two Cents. This is Minister General Ahmed, and I just got to give you more of the 2012 Robert Glasper Experiment Black Radio. This is More Love with Ahmed Sirur. And you can check all of these pieces out again on SOA Tube, the Sons of Africa channel on YouTube, youtube.com slash Sons of Africa. No, nothing, nowhere, on, no one. I just love this piece.
Y'all like that. This is Elpid Up. We love you. We are now tuned in to Sons of Africa, Hall of Black National Sundays. I'm talking WRBB 104.9 FM from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. every Sunday with Minister General Ahmad keeping you updated with the latest local community and national news broadcasting live from the home of the Huskies. So don't touch the dial. L. L, L, L with this. L, 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 L with this. And welcome back to the new National Hall of Black, a.k.a. Your Two Cents, the future of Boston, and perhaps where you are, America's only national black town meeting with Minister General Ahmed of SOA Sons of Africa, your Minister of Information. Again, that was Robert Glasper Experiment from the CD Black Radio, please go check it out on SOA Tube, the Sons of Africa channel on YouTube, youtube.com. Makes me just, I just feel glad to be in the world where young black brothers have such talent to produce something like music on this CD. Again, Black Radio, released a little earlier this year. 
and you'll find several pieces from that CD on this week's playlist, starting at around oh CD uh, video number 126, and going all the way to video number 139. So what's that? 13, 12, 11 pieces by this brother from this album. This is a masterpiece, a work of art. But again, good afternoon, as this is the second Sunday in National Preparedness Month 2012. Again, I remind you, for the past six or seven years, I devote all shows to disaster and emergency preparedness issues. We're going to take a brief look at uh, a video made based on the FEMA guide, Are You Ready? A Complete Guide to Citizen Preparedness. And again, I've given out tens of thousands of them, the actual booklet and PDF digital copies to the now 5,100 members on SOA Sons of Africa on Yahoo groups all day, every day. No one has done more than yours truly. Somebody say that. Somebody, somebody give some credit. And last week on our UN in Africa report, Brother Derek Mbata of United Nations Radio told us in his first story about the Mozambican city of Beira. You know, Mozambique is in Southeast Africa. The city of Beira getting a disaster preparedness award from the United States over all other cities in the world, including great and glorious America and its cities, Boston, New York, wherever. The Mozambican city of Beira, selected for an emergency and disaster preparedness award. The efforts that they're doing to protect the people of that city from floods. I don't think after watching New Orleans during Katrina that anyone in America could think that this country could even be considered for such an award. We watched 2,000 folk die. Hundreds of thousands get displaced without any kind of organization separating families. Are our communities prepared, brothers and sisters, if this happens again or something worse? A growing black city, Beira, in Mozambique, fresh out of anti-colonial wars and recently liberated from still yet unredressed racist crimes of the Portuguese that saw huge populations of Africans kidnapped and brought to Brazil, where today the beautiful, strong black ascendants up from those centuries-long crimes think that they are Brazilian and not African. Like we think we're American and not African. Do you really think that something is not wrong with our people, with us, with our whole people? Is it any wonder that nearly 2,000 mostly black people died in the Katrina disaster in New Orleans? Is anybody going to answer me, brothers and sisters? Are black communities prepared? Maybe everybody's just going to shut up because they know. The answer is no. But please, let's dialogue about it. You have nothing to lose except your two cents. At 1-617-373-2657, 617-373-2658. Come on, join your brother here. And again, no one has done more to make all of you graduates of readiness you. Even if I do say so myself, ain't nobody else saying it. 
Minister General Ahmed should be recognized for such efforts for all these years here in Boston. How many years of service need to be given here in Boston to dead people to be recognized? I don't understand it at all. I really don't understand it. Can somebody help me understand how many years of uh, dedication does it take, service does it take for people to be recognized in this city? And meanwhile, others who don't do nearly as much get all kinds of recognition, all kinds of grant funding, all kinds of support. You name it. Will the dead people in, in Boston and where you are, please, 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 all the black. Civil authorities in your area have reported that the bodies of the dead are rising from their graves and attacking the living. What? I can't believe that. <laughs> anyway, brothers and sisters, sometimes I do feel like I'm talking to dead people. But anyway, let's go on. Uh, for a few moments uh, during this show, we're going to take a look at the Parker family. They're a family like yours in your town, USA. Uh, young Zachary has a school project to go home and get together with his family, mom and dad and his sister, and put together a disaster preparedness plan. So I want you to try to get your family together. Uh, now, I know for some of us, perhaps this is not possible. Some, so many of us are too far stuck in the hell that we think is a life, but it's not a life. We are in hell. We are stuck in the hells of just never being able to bring our families together or those we love, except for funerals. And sometimes not even then. Isn't that hell, brothers and sisters? Somebody holler, 617-373-2658. I know we think hell is a place of burning fire and it's in the next life. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Isn't that what we used to sing as kids? How ironic. Brothers and sisters, hell's manifest in this life just as burning and just as hot. But it's the fire of lack of love and lack of interrelation and a bond between people who are bound together by blood or by spirit or by genes or by peoplehood or by nationhood. In the case of love, you remember all the songs about fire and desire, you know, from Rick James, from Earth, Wind, and Fire, from you name it. They made songs, a song that's still floating through the ether out there in space somewhere about the fire and desire and the pains and the despair in love. Hell is being in a bad relationship, a bad marriage, a bad family, a bad company where you work, like I am. A bad music group. These can all be hell in this life. The Quran calls it Hayati Dunya. The life of this world. Dunya. The lowest. That, that which is below. Dunya. 
The Quran, like the Bible and other scripture, uh, Bhagavad Gita, you name it, they clearly distinguish for the ruler, uh, for the reader, that there is only, uh, that there, there is another life, that there are other worlds. You can't find them by Star Trek and Captain Kirk and going out there when no man has gone before. They are not without, they are within. Didn't your teachers teach you? There's another life. There's a, another judgment. Brother, when you kill another brother, it's not that cop or that judge alone that you have to worry about and fear. There is another retribution, more meaningful and more lasting. Another meeting. The Quran calls it Lika'inah, which means the meeting with us. God speaking in the royal plural. Lika'inah, the meeting with us that every soul must attend. With God's grace, you can see now why you live, and, and, and it can cause you to go aright. A mercy from the most merciful, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Sometimes it can come in the form of someone else in your life, or someone you just met, or someone in this day on the radio. <laughs> Can come from anywhere. Guidance. But brothers and sisters, let's all come out of the hell of this life. Let's answer the call to do that, which is the only way we can escape from the real hell by doing it in this life. Answering the call to help each other and to save each other from impending doom. The in impending doom of these days of judgment in which we all now live. We can come up out of hell through the love of bearing witness, shaheed. Kafi shahad, as in uh, shahada in Islam. The word shaheed also means a martyr. Shaheed, to bear witness. I often ask you that. Holla black and bear some witness. Black Boston, come up out of the hell that is all around us. Black Chicago, Miami, Richmond, Kansas City, St. Louis, Detroit, Los Angeles, Hartford, Philly, New Haven, New York, Gary, Kigali, Bujumbura, Khartoum, Juba, Freetown, Abidjan. Wherever our people are, let's come up out of hell. By uniting and working for our common survival, for common justice. Now, we talked for years about Boston's emergency plan from the day those blue and white arrow evacuation signs went up in 2006. Somebody bears some witness. Did I, did I, did I or did I not talk about it? Constantly. You city officials, bear some witness, no one did more in the past six years than Minister General Ahmed to familiarize people in Boston and beyond about this city's plan. And brothers and sisters, all my work all these years proved to many that those signs cannot and will not save us. If anything, we found they confused people. They frightened many. You remember? 
I even went on Boston TV with some first responders almost six years ago in October 2006. And we all agreed. Those signs are not going to do it. It wasn't enough. It was only a piece of the puzzle. And every September since 2006, right here on these microphones, just as I'm trying to do right now, talking to the dead people in and around Boston and where you are, are people who never haul a black. Are black communities prepared? Let's check out Are You Ready for a little bit. See what Zachary does with his family to get everybody involved in putting together a plan. And if you ain't in hell and you can get your family, I hope everybody's right there at the computer or the radio or, for that matter, the phone so you can holler black and support your brother and endow your own. This is video number five on this week's playlist. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to a special broadcast from ENET. I'm John Getter. Today's broadcast marks the debut of some new valuable information for everyone in your community. There will be three different segments in this one-hour program. The first segment is Are You Ready? produced through a grant from the British Petroleum Employees Association. This is a guide to help families to be better prepared. It focuses on how to develop, practice, and maintain emergency plans and to learn what must be done before, during, and after a disaster to protect people and property. Also included is information on how to assemble a disaster supplies kit that contains the food, water, and other supplies for individuals and their families to survive following a disaster, especially in the event they have to survive on their own resources. The second segment is an instructional video to explain the steps to follow in setting up a portable generator as an effective power supply while minimizing the risk of fire and eliminating the danger of carbon monoxide. Yeah, we don't want everybody trying to do that when there's a power outage unless you know what you're doing. Some real insight into the terrible danger these floods can create literally in just minutes. So thank you for joining us today. We begin now with a very important question. Are you ready? Are our communities prepared? Disasters disrupt hundreds of thousands of lives every year. Every disaster can have lasting effects to both people and property. Being prepared can reduce fear, anxiety, and the loss that accompany disasters. For this reason, it's important that everyone, including you and me, be prepared. This video is one family story on how they prepared themselves for any disaster. You're about to see the Parker family, 
Mom, Dad, Zach, and Katie as they participate in one of Zach's school projects and learn about disaster preparedness. Their actions show us the practical step every person and family needs to take to get ready in case a disaster should strike. Looks like Zach is just coming home with his assignment. Hey, I'm Zach Parker. I'm 12, almost 13, and this is my house. I got assigned a project today in Earth Science. My mom loves school projects. She really gets into them. Come on, I'll show you. Mom, I'm home. Hey, honey, I'm here at the computer desk. Hey. Hey. I got assigned an important project today. Okay. It's kind of cool, but I got to get you and Dad to help me. Oh, why is that? Because my teacher, Miss Davis, said we should get the whole family involved. Cool. It's really a project for all of us. It's about disasters. What kinds there are, what to do to prepare, and we need to put together a kit, uh, a disaster supplies kit. Okay, let's see. Preparing for disaster. Wow, this does look really cool. And look, this is distributed by FEMA and the American Red Cross. Yeah, I can hardly wait. Oh, come on, Zach, we can make this fun. What disasters could happen around here, anyway? Oh, that's part of your homework assignment, Zach, to figure out what disasters can happen right here in your hometown? Because according to this book, disasters can happen in anybody's hometown. Okay. Well, you know what? According to your teacher in this plan, there are four following easy steps that we need to do. All right? So, number one, we need to get informed. Number two, we need to make a plan. Number three, we need to assemble a kit. And number four, we need to maintain the kit. Okay. Okay? So, look here. She even lists some places that we can get information. Yeah, the local chapter of the American Red Cross and our local emergency management office. Exactly. But look down here. Before we even get started, she wants you to write down why you think she's given you this assignment. What do you think she wants you to learn from this? And incidentally, brothers, there are lots of publications as well on FEMA.gov and on Ready.gov, especially for kids. Coloring books, maps, interactive maps to teach kids about uh, scale, how a little map, a, a big place can be on a little map and you can know where you are. You know where the mountains are. You know where the rivers are. The rivers run from the mountains to the sea. Kids need to know all these things in case there's a terrible flood and, or tornado and you have to get out of Dodge. You get separated, all that kind of stuff. Please take advantage of these publications. I have a lot of things right here if anybody wants to contact me about how they can get something locally without waiting for an order from FEMA. Well... First of all, she said it was important to know what disasters could happen around here. And? And that if you got ready, you could protect your home. Right. Keep your family safe. Mm -hmm. Even your pets. Exactly, Zach. You know, there looks like there are some really simple things that we can do to prepare for a disaster. And I really think that your dad and your sister can help us out with this, too. This looks like a very, very cool project. A family you know project. How much I love school projects. Great. A little quality family time. Oh, come on, Zach. Hmm. 
And it even says here that you get to make a presentation to your class. No way. Oh, come on, Zach. You're going to do great. You know that. Hmm. Where's that list again? Here you go, honey. Okay. First step is to get informed. Okay. You know, my teacher said that the Red Cross and the Emergency Management Office would have maps and stuff. Great. Hmm. Let's see, where is it? Ah, here it is. The Emergency Management Office. Okay, Zach. What's the telephone number? We'll go ahead and call him. Brothers and sisters, so Zach and his mom get together, and uh, I don't know how many of you moms can get together with your children and take them right on down to Boston City Hall to the Office of Emergency Management. You might want to visit them online first or call. But I'm sure they wouldn't mind if you came down and talk with them, including uh, Boston Emergency Medical Services, uh, our, our emergency medical first responders. Um, I'm sure they wouldn't mind having a visit. Boston Vulcans, uh, black firefighters, uh, and, uh, I think their facility is still up there in Carbon Square. They might love to have you come down with your kids so they can present to you the kinds of dangers that happen where we are and what you can do to respond, how you can be prepared. Please take time to look all of these folks up. And you can find Boston's emergency preparedness plan at cityofboston.gov slash emergency. Go there. You'll find everything you need um, and all the information you need to contact anyone locally on emergency preparedness issue. Let's, let's go back and join Zach and his mom. They're going to go to their local emergency preparedness office and... Uh, the guy there is, is very happy to see them and talk to them, and I'm sure they will be here, too, in Boston as well. Hi, I'm Bob Larimer, the emergency manager. Hi, Bob. I'm Linda Parker. Linda. This is my son, Zach. Zach, nice to meet you both. Nice to meet you. I understand that you're on a fact-finding mission. Yes, I am. All right, well, let's go back to my office. Talk. Okay. Right back this way. Thank you for seeing us. You're welcome. Thank you for coming by. Well, Zach, how can I help you? Well, I wanted to ask you some questions about our community so I could put it in my family's disaster plan. Okay, shoot. Hey, well, what disasters could happen here? That's an excellent question for a young person to ask any adult. Our community is impacted by a lot of different disasters. Floods, fires, thunderstorms, tornadoes. Oh, and remember when we had that train derailment last year that spilled all that hazardous material? Zach, that was a really good question. You know, it's important that we know about hazards that happen in our area, but it's also really important that we know about hazards that happen in places other than here. Really? Why is that necessary? Well, Linda, because the hazards that happen in the places where you travel on vacation or maybe have business trips may or may not be the same as those that we face right here. Isn't that a lot to remember? You're right, Zach. It, it really is. But I guess the good news is that a lot of the steps that you take to prepare for one disaster or one hazard are the take to prepare for other hazards. That's right. All right. I've got this guide. I'd love for you preparedness to is preparedness. To bring it home, take a look at it with your family. This guide has a lot oh, of... Oh, there's my book. Are you ready? ...you brought with you, but also has protective actions to take for very, very specific hazards. Yeah, look, it's even got pictures and maps and everything. Very nice. It's a very good book, brothers and sisters. Get it. How do you know if something's about to happen? 
that's a good question too. But you already know something about warning systems, Zach. Um, think about when your fire alarm goes off at school. Oh yeah, in fact, we just had a drill the other day. Well, you know, our community uses a variety of different warning systems. Um, local radio and television stations often warn of bed weather, which may even close your school. Oh yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. But we also use, you know, the internet, we use pagers, we use cell phones as part of our warning system as well. You know, sometimes we even find it necessary to go door to door to warn people, like during that train derailment last year. Mm -hmm. We also recommend that each family have a NOAA weather radio that has a tone alert feature. What's a NOAA? Well, NOAA stands for National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. See, they operate a nationwide network of radio stations broadcasting continuous weather information. Bob, I was thinking about evacuations. Okay. What are our community's plans for evacuation? Well, Linda, we often try to find routes that we can take, and we try to use the same routes, but as you know, quite often that can change. So it's really important that we listen to the radio or television for specific instructions as far as which routes to take, and also where we can find shelters for emergencies. All right. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, it does. Okay. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about plans for our own community, but it's really important that you find out what emergency plans are in place, say, at Zach School or even places where you work. That's right. That is a very good point. But here in Boston, a whole lot of people are not with the program. A whole lot of schools, a whole lot of businesses are not with the program, especially the businesses. And that's why in January 2009, a quarter million people were stuck on Boston streets in a snowstorm and nobody could get nowhere. Did they fix this? I don't think so. So it's really important that we listen to the radio or television for specific instructions as far as which routes to take and also where we can find shelters for emergencies. And what do you do if you have a power failure? All right. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, it does. Okay. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about plans for our own community, but it's really important that you find out what emergency plans are in place, say, at Zach School or even places where you work. That is a very good point. You know, I guess it is very important to make sure that all plans work together. That's right. Bob, thank you so much for taking time to see us. I really appreciate it. It's my job. And you know what? Keep in mind that the American Red Cross and other disaster service organizations have a lot of information that can help you as you put together your plan for your family. Just feel free to call on any of us. Okay. I guess we are making progress. We sure are. Okay, so uh, Zach and Mom get back home, and uh, they get with Sister and Pop, and now they're all going to get together and put together their emergency kit for their house in case they have to shelter in place. We're going to take a break, and we'll go back to that family. Hopefully you did get your family together and are ready. We're going to go back to Robert Glasper Experiments Black Radio. And this is Consequence of Jealousy, featuring Michel Indegio Cello. This is video number 132 on this week's playlist on SOA Tube, Sons of Africa channel on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Sons of Africa. Ain't you glad there's black folk with such talent in the world today? So for these next few minutes, submerge your mind. Picture. I offer 
You're listening to 104.9 WRBB, the hottest radio station in Boston, Mass. I'm Blood Deep from Evans Pyramid, and this is General Ahmed's show. Keep it right here for the truth. Sons of Africa, Hall of Black National Sundays. I'm talking WRBB 104.9 FM from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. every Sunday with Minister General Ahmad keeping you updated with the latest local community and national news broadcasting live from the home of the Huskies. So don't touch the dial. L, 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 L with this. And welcome back, brothers and sisters. As we talk about black communities being prepared, black people being safe, we need to also talk about environmental racism and ecological and environmental injustice. Is it wise to cite a trash recycling facility in Roxbury? Holla Black, 617-373-2658. What are the problems that we had because of it over these years? Is it wise to cite a chemical and biological weapons research lab of level four in the middle of a crowded city? Holla whoever, 1617-373-2657, When we talk black community... At least for me, I'm talking about a global black community. Remember back when George W. Bush lied to the world and used among his lies as a pretense to launch an attack that was the destruction of the small nation of Iraq, which did nothing at all to us, ever. He told of a substance called yellow cake, derived from weapons-grade uranium being exported to Iraq from the West African nation of Niger or Niger. Well, there are no U.S. mining companies mining uranium. Most uranium mining is done by other international companies like the French nuclear company Avera, which was mining uranium in Niger. Niger, a West African country, with hardly a government, freshly liberated from the crimes against humanity of the French, still yet unredressed 
crimes against humanity. Did anyone ever look at what this company has done to Niger, to the people of Niger? Did you know that this company's mining operations over many years has made all of Niger highly radioactive? The soil, the water, the people grown from the soil, all the food contaminated, the animals, the livestock poisoned, poisoned for life unto death with radioactivity. You didn't hear about this? Why, of course you didn't, unless you listened to Minister General Ahmed. You don't hear much real information and hardly any truth and nothing of import to people of African descent in any media in America except here. Are black communities safe? Let's check out uh, video number 107 on this week's playlist. Got a couple here about what's happening in Niger with the uranium. Um, Also one that shows that this kind of problem exists here in this country as well. Start off with 107, left in the dust, left in the dust, uranium mining in Niger. Here, in the desert of northern Niger, lies a forgotten battlefield of the nuclear industry. Dust, water, soil, and even scrap metal scattered around the area all carry an unseen but deadly threat. Landlocked in the Saharan Desert, Niger ranks as the fourth poorest country on the planet. Its soil, however, is rich in mineral resources such as uranium. It's this precious metal providing the fuel for nuclear reactors which drew the French nuclear industry to the region in the 1970s. Lured by the economic promise of the mining operation, settlers from Niger soon followed. Now, the twin mining towns of Akokan and Ali sit among a legacy of industrial waste, environmental destruction and radiation. Al-Mustafa Al-Hassan heads a local organization which has been protesting the effects of the uranium mining by French company Areva. Well, no wonder all these brothers wear these turbans with these long scarfs they can wrap around their face. This dust, the sand is blowing everywhere, and it's contaminated. The kids are playing in it. While sounding the alarm bell at an international level, his priority is to inform the local people of the hidden danger. Les gens, non, je vais dire, ils n'ont pas peur puisqu'ils ne savent pas de quoi fait effet la radioactivité. Ils ne connaissent pas c'est quoi la radioactivité. La priorité des gens, c'est la pauvreté. Mais quand même, ces problèmes, il ne faut pas les perdre de vue. Il est là. Les deux vont à la fois parce que la radioactivité augmente la pauvreté, parce qu'elle fait des victimes. Clouds of dust caused by a controlled explosion in the open pit mine carry poisonous gas towards town. What? Mountains of industrial radioactive waste sit in the open air for decades. Oh my God. And the shifting of millions of tons of rock and earth has corrupted a once clean source of groundwater that is also rapidly disappearing due to industrial overuse. Comme vous l'avez constaté, la faune a disparu. Brother says all the wildlife has disappeared, all the plant life has disappeared in the country, all the trees, t- it's turning to desert. 
a full, independent investigation of radiation levels and the impacts on human health and the environment has never been carried out. The French knew they just didn't care. Peace and its partners were able to conduct a brief scientific investigation of the area. They measured radiation levels in and around the mining towns. In some cases, readings went over a hundred times above internationally recommended levels. What? Just within a few days, we found that the people of these villages are exposed to unacceptably high levels of radiation. Look at all the kids in it. Materials in the street, radioactive scrap metal in the market, and it clearly shows that. The mining companies owned by Arriva are not taking care of the problems. Soil and water samples taken by Greenpeace were investigated by the French Nuclear Research Institute, CRIRAD, in Valence. Its findings further confirm the radioactive contamination of the region. The analyses we have been able to show the persistence of the contamination in uranium on four of the five echantillons of the quantity of uranium exceeds the recommendations of the Organization Mondiale of Health. Ensuite, la présence d'autres substances radioactives, dont le radon, qui est un gaz radioactif et qui est dissous dans l'eau, et puis la pollution par des éléments chimiques, par exemple des nitrates, de l'ammonium, du molybdène, à des concentrations pour les nitrates et le molybdène qui dépassent là aussi les recommandations de l'OMS. Pourtant, ces eaux sont toujours distribuées aujourd'hui à la population et aux travailleurs pour leur consommation. Exposure All to that water is contaminated and they're giving it to these people. Birth defects, leukemia and cancer. Arriva claims conditions in the mines and their surroundings are safe and radiation levels are being monitored. Two local hospitals, funded by the company, check the health of workers and the rest of the population. The principal pathologies we have here are the tours, the diarrhea, the dermatoses. Et donc euh, ces pathologies sont pratiquement les mêmes qu'on retrouve dans les autres régions du, du pays. Ce n'est pas du tout lié aux radiations. Arriva, however, fails to mention that the hospitals lack the equipment and expertise to properly diagnose cancer. That's right. Many ex-workers are already suffering from unexplained diseases. Almost hey, 10 years ago, laundry worker Jigozaki collapsed during his work at the Somaier mine. Since then, he's been forced to retire and was never informed about the cause of his condition. He says, they didn't give us anything to protect our nose, our mouths. We were treated like animals. Renewed interest in nuclear power as an alternative energy source to fight climate change. Oh, wow, this is what one of those mines look like inside of. They got people working down in there? Operations have already spread to over. Is this why, why South Africa revolted? Here in Niger, the company is planning to open a new mine at this site called Imoraren. Its critics point out that 40 years of uranium mining have only resulted in massive damage to the environment instead of delivering on the economic promises to Niger. And brothers and sisters, I hope you please go look at this piece and look at the pictures of these mine companies in, in Africa. They are fenced in with great big signs uh, uh, with a, a machine gun on it, uh, which I guess means don't come in here. If you want to demand the exploitation of uranium, C'est pour lutter contre les fléaux de la In Africa. Mais ce que nous constatons malheureusement après 40 ans
à Arlit en tout cas, ces fléaux n'ont fait qu'augmenter. Donc à Imraran, je pense que c'est exactement la même chose qui va se passer. Et maintenant, si j'ai un appel, c'est d'appeler la population à être un peu plus vigilante pour qu'il y ait moins de pollution et qu'il y ait plus de retombées. On the same night that leaves most of Akokan's streets unlit, the uranium mine here is powering a million households a continent away. Yeah, where we live at. In years time, the local economy will dry up as the mines run out of uranium. The 80,000 people living here and centuries of environmental pollution will all be left behind in the dust. Radioactive dust. Is this acceptable, brothers and sisters? Somebody please holler. So we're in the center of Akokan. This area was measured by Kominak, the mining company, uh, and it's supposed to be safe. In just a few days of survey, we've already proved that the mining companies owned by Arriva cannot be trusted to take care of environmental and health assessment themselves. So it's about a hundred times more than they say. The people of these villages are exposed to unnecessarily high levels of radiation. This is even more than we measured in the underground uranium mine. The Arriva says that it's, it's a legacy that they're dealing with, that it's uh, based on bad practices in history. But it's happening now. There's still radioactive material in the streets of Akakan. So there should be a comprehensive, independent assessment to assure that the people from Akokan are safeguarded from the risks of the mining operations. The mining companies owned by Arriva are not taking care of this problem. It's their responsibility and they should take action now. And uh, brothers and sisters, that is a, a very, very, very sad story. Um, let's go take a look at these two videos on uranium mining in Niger or Niger. It's called Niger because it was a French colony. The people there speak French, Francophone. So they say Niger. And uh, it was Brother Jemadari Kamara who corrected me on that many, many years ago. Of course, you know he goes over there a lot. He spends a lot of time over there. He's probably there now. And uh, they are a Francophone nation like uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, like Sierra Leone, like Chad. Oh, the French were busy in Africa. But this is a crime against humanity, and you need to go take a look at it. But we had our problems here in the United States, too, with uranium mining. Let's go and take a look at the Grand Canyon. This is video number 108. What does nuclear energy have to do with the Grand Canyon? It has everything to do with it. Right now, extensive uranium mining is being proposed at the edge of one of the world's greatest treasures. The Grand Canyon watershed goes well beyond the boundaries of Grand Canyon National Park into surrounding wildlands threatened by these mining proposals. This region is known the world over for its sublime expanses. The Colorado River plunges through its deepest recesses where the canyon reveals colors, space, and geologic time like nowhere else on Earth. Judgment Day for the Grand Canyon watershed is fast approaching. A global boom in uranium has it selling at record high prices 
and large mining corporations are pressuring the Bureau of Land Management to open over 1 million acres of land surrounding the Grand Canyon National Park to new mining and development. Corporate mining interests cite many reasons to support their new claims, but what they do not acknowledge is the fact that their proposals threaten to contaminate precious aquifers, industrialize iconic wildlands, and add to a legacy of uranium pollution that continues to plague the Colorado Plateau. The uranium industry's seven-decade track record in the region is marked by corporate irresponsibility, pollution, and harm to both people and the environment. The companies have simply walked away from many of their contaminated mines and polluted landscapes. This mine has been in standby mode for 20 years, and during that time, those piles of mining debris have been blowing uranium dust into the adjacent desert. And this, this guy standing there, he has on a mask and everything, but in the previous video in that town, Akokan in uh, Niger, all the little kids and everybody were out there breathing in that radioactive dust like it was day-to-day -day life. And that's unacceptable. That is a crime against humanity, and that French nuclear company, Avera, must pay. We're at the south rim of the Grand Canyon next to the site of the former orphan uranium mine. Down below us is Horn Creek, which is a side drainage to the Grand Canyon. We found elevated uranium concentrations beyond EPA limits. I'm profoundly concerned that the quality and quantity of the springs in the Grand Canyon might be affected by uranium activities. They're important to Native American cultural values. They don't care. And they represent the diversity and beauty of the Grand Canyon that we love. That's right. Between 1944 and 1986, mining companies extracted almost 4 million tons of uranium ore from the Navajo Reservation. What they left in their wake was land that could no longer be used and water that is no longer fit to drink. Death. Millions of dollars of federal funds have been paid out in settlements for radiation exposure. They took a big nut, a lump out of my throat. And that's why my face isn't aware. So look what this did to the Navajo people. I mean, my God, and, and you're going to sit back and let them do this to an entire African nation? Supposed to be. New mining would require hundreds of exploratory drilling projects, bring new roads, power lines, truck traffic, and mining facilities. Potential impacts of uranium mining have provoked broad public concern, including protests, litigation, and legislative proposals to block new mining. Heeding those concerns, the Obama administration has proposed a 20-year mineral withdrawal across 1 million acres of the Grand Canyon's watershed. Yeah, and Romney wants to wipe it out and go gung-ho for all this stuff again. If enacted, it would block new mining claims and prevent mining on the vast majority of existing claims, a significant step toward providing the Grand Canyon the protection it deserves. And that's where you can help. Please visit www.protectgrandcanyon.org to ask the Obama administration to protect the Grand Canyon's entire 1 million acre watershed from new uranium mining, not just for the good of our generation, but for countless generations to come. Yeah, but who's going to protect Africa.org from what the French and others have done there and have been doing there, not only with uranium, but with all kinds of minerals that have made people rich everywhere but Africa. Brothers and sisters, the divide over the Democratic platform last week to me was a disaster. <laughs> Brother President, if you are responsible for the flub last week over the platform, 
I cannot support the Dem platform with those changes. I mean, I don't really have a problem with the term God. I wonder how many of you do. I don't, I don't really have a problem with that, and I don't know why it was removed in 2008 from the platform. The, the election before that, I don't remember it being in there, and I still have that platform. I was at that convention here in Boston. In 2008, uh, the word God was taken out and uh, support for Jerusalem, recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Um, that was removed. Brother President ordered it put back in. And uh, there were a lot of people that couldn't accept that. Uh, America must make no laws in favor of or against any religion. And we must stop calling the Zionist state, so-called Israel, which is a Zionist state, we have to stop calling it a democracy. It is a Zionist state, bent on driving out millions of Palestinians since before its inception in 1936. It was, it was uh, conceived and uh, uh, inceived in 1948, but... Uh, uh, the British started allowing Jewish militants from uh, England and from other parts of Europe after World War II to start flooding into what was then Palestine. It was always Palestine, going back to the Romans. Palestine. Philistinia. The Zionist state has been bent on driving the Palestinians out. Millions. There's still millions still there. And most Philistini are themselves Muslim, but many are also Christians. And they have been robbed of their state, of their statehood, of their peoplehood. And they are not afforded the citizenship of so-called Jews to be Israeli inside Israel. Many don't want to be Israeli. And I have a problem if the U.S., Brother President, if you take any side in this age-old Middle East conflict, this is underlying uh, uh, terrorism and the war on terror and the attack on the United States. All of this is underlined by this Middle East conflict with the Zionist entity and the Palestinians. The U.S. cannot be a mediator for peace cannot be about peace in the Middle East if it takes one side or the other. Did Obama do this to get the Jewish vote? I wonder. Did he do this because Romney would have attacked him on it? And Romney certainly would have attacked him. Romney's still going to attack you on it. I was watching it. I, I, how many of you were watching? I was watching it. I saw Muslim American Democrats in that hall who were flabbergasted. I saw Arab American Democrats sitting in there in that hall in Charlotte who were yelling out, no! But Villaragosa said the eyes have it. Bill Clinton is a man who often goes off script, but rarely off message. 
That wasn't the case with some of the Democratic delegates. Before his speech, they voted to change their party platform to include language supporting Israel, with Jerusalem as its undivided capital. This is what happened next. The matter requires a two-thirds vote in the affirmative. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. In the opinion of the... Let me do that again. Yeah, because you don't have no opinion. That was equal. All of those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. Now, come on now. Is the Democratic Party Democratic? Did you see what I saw? I, um... I don't know what I'm doing. Get down from there, Villaragosa. And then you've got to let them do what they're going to do. I'll do that one more time. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. No! The chair two-thirds have voted in the affirmative. Use a liar. That's not what happened. The motion is adopted, and the platform has been amended as shown on the screen. And this angered a lot of people in that hall. It angered me at home. I don't know how they could do that. It makes me not even want to vote in November. I don't care if I lived under Romney in Massachusetts. I can live under Romney as president. That the Democrats would do such a thing, that they would stuff this in everybody's faces, and this vote clearly was even. What do you think? Harlem Black, 617-373-2658. Welcome to the program. Well, in just a few hours' time, one of the Democratic Party's biggest stars, Bill Clinton, will try to convince voters that Barack Obama deserves a second term. The former president will be addressing the Democratic convention in Charlotte and a TV audience of millions. Well, for his part, the current president touched down in Charlotte a couple of hours ago. His moment in the spotlight will come on Thursday night when he takes to the stage to formally accept his party's nomination. Well, Patty Colhane is live for us in Charlotte now. Patty, it seems uh, the president's touched down at a controversial moment. He really did, and I have to tell you, Darren, this is incredibly unusual. This is supposed to be a pep rally, but when it came to the platform, it got a little uh, heated here in the uh, arena. Let me tell you exactly what the platform is. It's sort of what a wish list of what the party says it stands for, what they would do in office. Well, there was something a little strange. It wasn't in there any mention of God or any mention of Israel, support for Israel. That in itself is unusual. That brought on a lot of Republican criticism. So what we saw in an unexpected move, they tried to add a couple of amendments to the platform, but when it came to saying that Jerusalem should be the undivided capital of Israel, accessible to people of all faith, uh, listen to what happened at this meeting. The matter requires a two-thirds vote in the affirmative. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. Okay, we get to listen to this mess again. Let me do that again. All of those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. Come on now. 
I um I guess I don't know what I'm doing. I'll do that one more time. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. In the opinion of the chair, two-thirds have voted in the affirmative. The motion is adopted. Then the chair needs to sit down. That was not two-thirds of the people in attendance. Might have been half for each side. So uh, that was wrong. That was undemocratic. That was an undemocratic democratic convention. I can't support your platform with that statement, with that language in it, uh, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. That is a stumbling block to peace in the Middle East, and the United States can't play both sides. Can they? Maybe that's what they've been doing all along. Hello, this is T. West. Welcome to Afrosynergy, news and information on Africa and the African diaspora. And there was a lot of poison black minds in that Democratic convention. People all in crocodile tears for that nonsense going on there. There was nothing Democratic about it. And meanwhile, the minds of black youth are being poisoned generation after generation. And you ain't doing nothing about it. Now, the article, does the Israel lobby care about African-American students? No. Does it care about the issues close to their heart? No. Is it about to reach out to blacks to create political coalitions? No. To advance causes of mutual interest to each community? Hell no. These kids are fodder in the public relations war. They do not mean anything other than having a black face to show the world that Israel is not an apartheid nation. That's how right. much do these kids really know about Israel? Nothing. That is the question Silverstein is asking. If we do not teach and prepare our youth for what awaits them in the halls of higher education, we see who will fill their young minds with ideas. The article. Before he went to D.C., Evans knew nothing about Israel and had no opinion on Middle East politics. Evans stated, the program starts at a layman's level and takes you through what the current Middle East peace talks are about. Okay, now are we relying on the 700 Club and other religious men and women to instruct our youth about the Middle East and Israel? They ain't religious, they devil. ...would entrust their youth to the teachings of Zionists. The article, APAC trained Evans and other students in lobbying and campaign work and provided a crash course in its staunchly Zionist version of Middle East history and politics. Participants are introduced to American and Israeli political leaders and spend afternoons walking Capitol Hill to lobby for Israel. Okay, so you see the contact that APAC is able to give these people, the access that they're able to give to these people. These devils tempt you with free flight tickets and expense-paid trips to Washington and to Israel to dupe and to hypnotize 
you into doing the bidding of the beast. That's right. And as the writer wrote, it seemed to Evans an opportunity of a lifetime. Evans stated, you're talking about a lot of students who grew up in a socioeconomic place that does not give them these opportunities. That's right. We met amazing people. I met Netanyahu in 2007 or 2008. So I met all the Democratic candidates for president. So as I said access. My dad cried when I met Obama. So as you can see, APAC opens your eyes to things you've never seen. The words of Evans, a young black student courted by APAC. Now, for some of you fellas, this is like giving you a private suite with Playboy bunnies to address your every desire. For the ladies, Sell out. it's like rolling out the red carpet to the entry of your dream house. Sell out. As it was written when Yeshua was tempted of this same devil top the mountain. Look at all of this. The beauty, the money, the power. It can all be yours if you serve my interests. But he said, get thee behind me, Satan, Shaitan. Why aren't you black folks saying that? Richard Silverstein then writes, pardon me, but this sounds more like a cult to me than a political campaign. They take kids who know or care nothing about, about Israel. Israel and they indoctrinate them with a narrow Them kids don't even know their own history. ...set of principles and values they hammer home. At the end, they have produced walking anti-apartheid emblems who will supposedly immunize Israel from these charges. Yeah, that Democratic convention was filled with such people last week. Not just that, these black students also become cannon fodder in the war of ideas on college campuses. That's right. Christine then proceeds to give an example. Last year, APEC featured several historically black college university students as speakers at its 5,000-person National Policy Conference in Washington, D.C. On stage, one student explained that she and a group of other APAC-trained, historically black college university students launched an attack on the Palestinian rights movement. Specifically, they targeted students for justice in Palestine. What? A national student coalition with branches on a growing number of campuses. Student for Justice in Palestine frames its work as a struggle against Israeli apartheid. On stage at last year's APAC conference, an historically black college university student waxed indignant. How dare they use a word that has historic meaning to me, this speaker said to the loud cheers of the audience. All oh, the niggas cheered at that nonsense. A word that conjures up some of the worst injustices an individual can suffer. As she spoke, positioning herself as an arbiter of what gets to be called racist. A slide of an apartheid era South African sign reading white area peered behind her. Richard Silverstein continues to ask these questions. Do these children know anything about Israeli politics? No. Or the nature of Israeli society? No. Do they know how non-Jewish Israelis are treated? Do they know how the Palestinians have been butchered, their homes bulldozed, their kids killed or locked up? No. Do they know anything about the occupation? Do they know anything about the racial prejudice? Do these black college students know any damn thing?
No, they don't know nothing about their damn self. Rampant in Israeli society? No, they only know what APAC tells them. That's the right. The lies and the half-truths. That's right. APAC feeds them. That's right. I find it almost amazing that some strategists like Frank Luntz sit in a room or hold a focus group and discuss Israel's vulnerabilities and how to exploit different ethnic and gender-based communities in order to buttress them, they being the Israelis. It is cold, exploitive, and vulgar. It's buying support with trips, nice hotels, and meeting famous people. And the niggas are selling out for it. Instead of earning support the old-fashioned way through discussion. And doing the right darn thing in Palestine. Study, debate, and the battle of ideas. APAC programs these impressionable young kids to spout the talking points. That was well stated by Silverstein. Debate and the battle of ideas is not what Zionists want because they know they could never win under those circumstances. There is no bigger venue for discussion, for study, for debate, and ideas than over the internet. This is why Zionists, in general, will be supportive of bills or legislation such as SOPA or Stop Online Piracy Act and other similar proposed legislation tailored to censor all of this over the internet. Silverstein states, who does it fool? Who does it persuade? I rather think it helps the APAC donors who fund this sort of charade more than it persuades anyone outside this narrow pro-Israel political niche. One of them is Haim Seven, the wealthy Hollywood and media power broker who is one of APAC's most important donors. He also is a major donor to the Democratic-leaning think tank, the Brookings Institution. He also played a role in lobbying Representative Jane Harmon, on behalf of accused APAC spy Steve Rosen. Sabin also lobbied Nancy Pelosi on Harmon's behalf to appoint her Intelligence Committee chair, which the then Speaker refused to do. By the way, the lobby's cultivation of Vincent Evans paid off. He used the connections he made on his APAC trips to D.C. to land a job working for Florida's Democratic Party in Tallahassee, Florida. As he works his way up the political ladder, APAC will be able to call on him for ongoing support in its political battles. Just as it does a number of members of the Congressional Black Caucus. That's right. Who routinely sell out their values and principles to sup at the pro-Israel altar of mammon. That's the way the games play. That's right. It's a dirty, nasty game. That's right. But APAC has mastered it to perfection, except that more and more see through it. They do not buy it. The only people they're fooling is themselves. That's right. Yes, and the members of Congress, and a president, it appears. But so many of the rest of us, we know better. This is... For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, 
It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no secret is revealed. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Solon decreed a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. Confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. my fellow mom and our first lady Michelle Obama signs right now all handed out by the Democratic National Committee saying we love Michelle But the Obamas loved that song. I grew up to that in the 60s with Stevie Wonder. Here I am, signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Here I am, baby. Ah. so much. We are, are so grateful for your family's service and sacrifice, and we will always have your back. Over the past few years as First Lady, I have had the extraordinary privilege of traveling all across this country, and everywhere I've gone and the people I've met and the stories I've heard, I have seen the very best of the American spirit. I have seen it in the, the incredible kindness and warmth that people have shown me and my family, especially our girls. 
I've seen it in, in teachers in a near bankrupt school district who vowed to keep teaching without pay. I, I, I've seen it in, in people who become heroes at a moment's notice, diving into harm's way to save others, flying across the country to put out a fire, driving for hours to bail out a flooded town. And I've seen it in our men and women in uniform and our proud military families. In, in wounded warriors who tell me they're not just going to walk again, they're going to run and they're going to run marathons. In the young man blinded by a bomb in Afghanistan who said simply, I'd give my eyes 100 times again to have the chance to do what I have done and what I can still do. Every day, the people I meet inspire me. Every day they make me proud. Every day they remind me how blessed we are to live in the greatest nation on earth. <laughs> Serving as your first lady is an honor and a privilege. But back when we first came together four years ago, I still had some concerns about this journey we'd begun. While I believed deeply in my husband's vision for this country, and I was certain he would make an extraordinary president, like any mother, I was worried about what it would mean for our girls if he got that chance. Now, how would we keep them grounded under the glare of the national spotlight? How would they feel being uprooted from their school, their friends, and the only home they'd ever known? See, our life before moving to Washington was, was filled with simple joys. Saturdays at soccer games, Sundays at grandma's house, and a date night for Barack and me was either dinner or movie, because as an exhausted mom, I couldn't stay awake for both. <laughs> and the truth is, I loved the life we had built for our girls. And I deeply loved the man I had built that life with. And I didn't want that to change if he became president. was. You see, even back then, when Barack was a senator and a presidential candidate, to me, he was still the guy who picked me up for our dates in a car that was so rusted out, I, I could actually see the pavement going by in a hole in the passenger side door. Oh, I know. I had one of those. He was the guy whose proudest possession was a coffee table he'd found in a dumpster and whose only pair of decent shoes was a half size too small. Wow, that man's the complete opposite of Mitt the Sheed. But see, when, when Barack started telling me about his family, see, now that's when I knew I had found a kindred spirit, someone whose values and upbringing were so much like mine. You see, Barack and I were both raised by families who didn't have much in the way of money or material possessions, but who had given us something far more valuable, their unconditional love, their unflinching sacrifice, and the chance to go places they had never imagined for themselves. Oh, brothers and sisters, listening to Michelle Obama's speech, and actually this is the uh, complete almost half an hour speech she delivered, video number 104 on this week's playlist. I got everybody in there. Please go and check it out.
But I'm going to break away from that now to go to that other guy, Mitch the Sheet, and have him explain to you how he is in a church that has had a curse on black people for 130 years. Church policy had it that blacks had the mark of Cain. This dude, this dude shouldn't even be running for president. That's behind us. Don't worry about those little flicks of history. Governor Mitt Romney wants to be the next president of the United States. What? The president is supposed to be the servant of the people. Right. All people. That's the right. United States. White, brown, yellow, red, and black. Everybody. But in the case of Mitt Romney, there may be a problem. Mitt Romney is a Mormon. A member you of mean may be a problem. There is a problem. Take it from Massachusetts. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah, with over 13 million members worldwide. There are about 6 million Mormons in the United States. Mitt Romney served as a missionary for the Mormon Church in France in the early 1960s. Later, Romney served as a Mormon bishop, like the volunteer pastor over a congregation of about 200 people in Boston, Massachusetts. Until Mitt Romney was 30 years old, the Mormon Church banned all black people from its priesthood and its temples. What? This priesthood ban began in 1848 and continued until June 8th of 1978. Before June 8th, 1978, a black Mormon could enter a Mormon temple for only one reason to be sealed as a servant to a white Mormon so that the black Mormon could become an eternal servant to the white Mormon god or goddess in the eternities. Now we're not talking about 1878, brothers and sisters. We're talking about 1978. That's not a very long time ago. Has Mitt the Sheet changed? Needless to say, only one black Mormon woman I know of ever did this. She was sealed as an eternal servant to Joseph Smith in the 1860s. There have been black Mormons since 1832, but not many of them. At first, they had full equality in the Mormon church, but in 1848, Brigham Young banned them from the Mormon priesthood, which every Mormon male over the age of 12 holds, and from the Mormon temples. A Mormon cannot be married for all eternity, nor become a god or goddess, until they are sealed in a Mormon temple and remain faithful to the Mormon church leaders until the end of their lives. In 1848, Brigham Young introduced the Curse of Cain Doctrine into the Mormon Church. This Curse of Cain Doctrine was preached by Mormon leaders from 1848 until June 1978 over a period of 130 years. The Mormon leaders have never repudiated the Curse of Cain Doctrine, That's nor right. issued an apology for it. And neither has Mitt the Sheet. Brief overview of the Curse of Cain Doctrine. According to the Curse of Cain Doctrine, all humans were spirit sons and daughters of God in the pre-existence, also called the pre-earth life or the pre-mortal realm. You and I were there, as spirits, according to Mormon doctrine, so was Heavenly Father and His wives, and first son Jesus. Jesus and Lucifer, God's second-born son, got into an argument, and a war broke out. Two-thirds of the spirit children followed Jesus, and one-third of the spirit children followed Lucifer. 
Mormons see Jesus as the firstborn son of Elohim, our Heavenly Father, and one of Elohim's goddess wives. They believe that Jesus is the exact physical image of God the Father, meaning a white man with red hair, blue eyes, and freckles. What? A third of the spirits followed Lucifer, the second-born son of God. Mormons don't draw paintings of him, but in Mormon temples before 1950, the devil was said to be black. What? But in 1950, that was removed from the Mormon temple ceremony. In 1990, many more changes were made. Jesus and the spirits who followed him won the war in heaven and cast out those spirits who followed Lucifer. Those spirits who followed Lucifer became the demons that wander the earth. Those spirits who followed Jesus in the war in heaven became human beings, us. This is supposed to be the Mormon creed, but this, this sounds just like those white crackers down south who call themselves Christians. Early Mormon leaders taught that those most valiant in the war in heaven, the most heroic spirits, were born as white babies in the image of God, since Mormons believe that God and Jesus are white men. The Mormon church always taught that Adam and Eve were two white people because they were created in the image of God, whom yeah. Mormons believe is an exalted white man who lived on a planet before this one. What? Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters, and all of them were white, like Adam and Eve. Did Romney teach his kids this? But how did the black race begin? The Mormon church had an answer for that as well. Mormon prophets taught that Cain was originally white like his parents, although less valiant in the war in heaven, but he was allowed to come to earth and be born, because God wanted the less valiant spirits to come to earth too. You mean the cowards? would mark them with a mark. Cain couldn't have the priesthood, but he wanted the priesthood, and was jealous of his brother Abel, who had the priesthood, so Cain killed Abel. God saw that he killed his brother Abel, so God sent a curse upon Cain which meant he would wander the earth, and also the ground would not yield its fruit to him. Furthermore, God would ban Cain and all the descendants of Cain from the priesthood until all of Abel's children first had the opportunity to hold the priesthood. Okay, so he's going to make all of Cain's descendants blackface. God cursed Cain and put a mark upon him. According to the Curse of Cain doctrine, taught by Mormon church leaders for 130 years, Cain was changed by God from a white man into the world's first Negro. What? Cain then married his sister. There were no other women around, and God changed her into the world's second Negro. Cain you mean the first black woman? Cain and his sister became the parents of the black African, or so-called Negro race. Does Romney really believe this and can you vote for somebody? Should somebody who grew up in such teachings be standing for president of these United States? Should he have even been governor of Massachusetts? No wonder I hated the guy and he still met the sheet. And when I say met the sheet, I mean a word that rhymes with met. This is Minister General Ahmed. You're on the new National Hall of Black, a.k.a. Your Two Cents. Let's take a break and go check out this week's UN and Africa report with Brother Derek Mbata. This is UN and Africa. I am Derek Mbata. In today's program, youth unemployment is higher in Africa. 
former child soldiers get assistance to reintegrate into their communities. And a study analyzes the health conditions of migrants from East and Central Africa to Southern Africa. The situation of youth unemployment in Africa is more problematic than in many other parts of the world. That's according to Theodore Spebum, an economist at the International Labour Organization, ILO. Africa has a high population growth rate and there are millions of young people looking for a job. Mr. Spebum tells UN Radio's Patrick Maigua that unemployment rates in Africa are high partly because there are more young people looking for work. The situation in 2012 is that the youth unemployment rate in sub-Saharan Africa is 12%, and in North Africa we see much higher rates. Over the next five years, we see little of an improvement. So we are projecting at the moment for 2017, 11.8. So only very slight decrease in youth unemployment rates, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. While at the global level, in the developed economies, we see some decrease in youth unemployment rates in the medium term. But it seems that Africa is not benefiting. What is happening? Is it that governments are unable to create enough employment opportunities? It is partly economic growth, the demand side, the weak growth in the developed economy that is creating insufficient demand. The issue is also that a lot of the economically important sectors in sub-Saharan Africa in particular are not creating sufficient jobs, decent jobs for the labor market as a whole, and in particular too few opportunities for young people. So there is a very strong need for programs in terms of education, skill development, at the supply side, but there is also a need at the demand side to look into opportunities to create more decent work for young people. Looking at some specific countries, South Africa is an economic powerhouse in Africa. Is the situation there any better? It is surely an economic powerhouse, but what you also see in South Africa is that more than half of the economically active young people are looking for a job. So there's an enormous youth unemployment problem in that country. And it is also a typical example of a country where you see little progress being made. Youth unemployment rate has been high in South Africa for quite a while. And current trends, you don't see any improvement coming. From your analysis of the situation, what sectors do you think governments and the private sector need to put more money in order to create employment opportunities for the youth? I think it is difficult to generalize. The diversity within Africa is too great. But there are certainly opportunities, both in industry and services. And let's not forget that a large part of the employed are in agriculture. And it is also important to raise productivity in the agricultural sector. That was Theodore Spebum of the International Labour Organization. For former child soldiers, reintegrating into their home communities can be very difficult. The UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, is working to assist young people to adopt alternatives and to transition to a better life. Ishmael Bear, a UNICEF advocate for children and former child soldier himself, was recently in the Central African Republic, a country which has faced this problem. Gail Walker has the story. Young children recruited by armed groups in the Central African Republic face tremendous challenges when they are released. 
This is a challenge that Ishmael Bea, UNICEF advocate for children, knows firsthand. As a child, Bea fought in a civil war in Sierra Leone. He was a child soldier for almost three years before being rescued by UNICEF. Now, Bea is working with UNICEF to assist children released by the military in the Central African Republic as they prepare to return to their home communities. I came to Central African Republic to shed light on the issue of children in armed conflict, which is a very dire situation here in this place, and also to spend some time with some of the young people who are coming from these groups that have been released. There are several groups in this area recruiting children, including the LRA. UNICEF is partnering with the UN Task Force to provide alternatives for children who have fought with armed groups in the Central African Republic, including the Convention of Patriots for Justice and Peace, or the CPJP. Task Force member Evelyn Zembea works as a social worker for the Danish Refugee Council. She says even once children are released, the bond that they feel with the armed group is very strong. The biggest difficulty we are facing is that the CPJP is actively operating in our towns, and these children feel a strong parental link to this CPJP. To help the newly released children transition back to life with their families or foster parents, often their first stop are transit centers, where children associated with armed conflict can get a new start. Fosca Gioladori, UNICEF Chief of Child Protection in the Central African Republic, says the transit centers offer the children the opportunity to go to school or learn skills like tailoring and mechanical work. This time of transition is very important because the child is prepared to go back at home and also is prepared to consider all the opportunity to a positive future. Those working to assist the former combatants hope that through hard work and long-term support, the young people will see that a better life is possible. Gail Walker, United Nations. Thousands of people migrate every year from East Africa, the Horn of Africa and the Great Lakes region to Southern Africa in search of a better life. The International Organization for Migration, IOM, says most of the migrants who use smugglers to reach South Africa encounter hardships on the way. The agency has launched a study on the health vulnerability of the irregular migrants who also face difficulties in accessing health care once they reach their destination. IOM spokesperson Jumbe Omari Jumbe told me on the line from Geneva that the exact numbers of the people who illegally migrate to Southern Africa is not yet known. In our 2009 study called In Pursuit of the Southern Dream, we have found that at least 40,000 people every year migrate from the Horn of Africa, that is Somalia, Ethiopia, and Eritrea, to South Africa, in particular in areas like Cape Town and Johannesburg, in search for work. But there isn't a study on the figure of the migrants from other areas in East Africa or the Great Lakes. Now, this study we are going to implement from September to July, it will only concern the area of the health of these migrants who are traveling all the way from these three key areas to South Africa. What has prompted the IOM to conduct this study? One reason is that uh, we understand that there is a huge move from these areas to South Africa. And also we understand that these migrants face a lot of problems on their way to their destination. These ranges from abuse, exploitation, detention, physical and 
sexual violence to basic needs uh, of food, clothing, shelter, and so on. So you can see there are pointers to the really terrible and uh, probably life-threatening health issues there. Now tell me, how do they move from their countries to South Africa? There is an issue of people smugglers. There are these people who are employing different uh, tactics and means of helping them by road, by boats, even by air, using international borders and sometimes what they are called panya routes. Panya routes? What is that? Panya routes, literally translation is <laughs> mice routes, if you want. Like rodents? <laughs> rodent routes, yes. That is because they are not uh, regular. They are irregular corridors that uh, these people exploit to infiltrate or to hide these people and pass through international borders. It would seem to me that these smugglers would need to have some kind of a network to be able to receive people from all the way in Somalia to South Africa. Yes, that's very correct. They have a very strong network. Of course, they receive lots of money out of this. Estimates run into millions of dollars. The whole issue is muddled with corruption. National officers also in some countries collude with these people. Unless you do really keen research, as we are trying to do, and in collaboration with the national government and the security agencies and forces, you won't know about these networks. But we believe they do exist. That was Jumbe Omari Jumbe of the International Organization for Migration, bringing us to the end of this week's edition of UN and Africa. I am Derek Mbata.
You're listening to 104.9 WRBB, the hottest radio station in Boston, Mass. I'm Blood Deep from Evans Pyramid, and this is General Ahmed's show. Keep it right here for the truth. Discourse with Baldwin, 
On a jet plane with no fear of falling But wishing to never land Reminiscent of the dream time Presently en route to the rise of the machine time Magazine times A coffee, more sugar and milk than coffee Aborted rhymes, rotten beats and fell hooks Roads as bumpy as braille books Fell cools, bad French and a mad push for the door Gourmet food at the Starbucks soiree A choice of one easy woman at a time I'll take three the hard way Trying to be as abstract as possible and vulgar The more shocking, the more profitable A baby fed molten gold And sit upon a pedestal at the mocha and called 24 carats So, how's to describe this? With insightful remarks such as the best thing I've ever heard was silence Something more technically impressive And a full Spanish romantic with hues of a Marxist dialectic Pleasing to the critics but pointless to the common passerby Might as well not even exist Not even a bit. In the event of my demise, give everything I prize to the poor and to the oppressors, I leave a war. And so on and so forth. Me too. Give everything I own to the poor and to the oppressors, I leave a war. You're listening to 104.9 WRBB, the hottest radio station. In Boston, Mass., I'm Blood Deep from Evans Pyramid, and this is General Ahmed's show. Keep
Robert Glasper experiment with Erica Badu. This is Afro Blue, video number 126 on the playlist, along with about uh, 13, 14 other songs from the CD. You need to check this genius out. Listening to 104.9 WRBB, the hottest radio station in Boston, Mass. I'm Blood Deep from Evans Pyramid, and this is General Ahmed's show. For the truth. More from Robert Glasper Experiment. This is Liftoff featuring Shafiq Hussein with a mic check.
And my head's right here, just a little more, just a little more. Two, 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 hey, hey. Something, 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 something like. Check one, two, mic check, one, two, mic check, one, two. Mic check. Check, check, one, two. Robert Glasper experiment, lift off. Featuring Shafiq Hussein. Video number 130 on this week's playlist. Please go check it out. <laughs> You're listening to 104.9 WRBB, the hottest radio station in Boston, Mass. I'm Blood Deep from Evans Pyramid, and this is General Ahmed's show. Keep it right here for the truth. And brothers and sisters, it's uh, just after 4 p.m. I'm going to get ready to make way back south of the city. And don't forget, you can check out this entire show this week on SoundCloud.com slash Sons of Africa, A-F-R-I-K-A, oh, in about two, three hours from now, as soon as I get home and get a chance to trim it down and upload it. And uh, I'll be back with you, God willing, inshallah, next Sunday on September 16th, the third Sunday in This year, 2012, a month of five Sundays, usually September only has four. But in 2012, for some strange reason, there are five Sundays. All five of them we're going to talk about disaster and emergency preparedness. Hope we touched on some things that helped you. And, of course, there is a lot more. My my playlist is usually 15 or 16 hours long. There's usually 150, 60 videos on there so um brothers and sisters you need to go to sons of africa channel on youtube soa tube and that's youtube.com slash sons of africa as always any views or opinions heard on this program are those of yours truly and any guests or participants and never those of wrbb its staff management or northeastern university and as always peace but never with the beats. Going to go out with one more that I played earlier from Robert Glasper Experiment. And uh, this one is called Move Love. Uh, the Bossa Soul Remix featuring Ahmed Saror. This is video number 129 on this week's playlist. I had to record these and play them in the car. This is pure genius. Nothing, nowhere on 
that bossa nova beat that came out of the crimes of the portuguese in africa
Yeah.